Hey, thank you so much for checking out our podcast. I just wanted to give you a heads up before you get into this message that the audio is a bit messed up messed up for the first couple minutes. So I uh, hope that you trudge through that and get to the meat of the message. That we left it in just because it's still important, but just wanted to give you a heads up that it will be fixed after the first uh, minute or so of this message. So thank you so much for supporting our church. Uh, we're praying for you and we love you. All right, well, if you don't know me, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Thank you so much for coming this morning. This is, this is great. This is a lot of fun. I love changing it up a little bit. Um, if you, just a quick thing about me, if you don't know me too well, I tend to be a rule follower. That's just my, my, my bench, right? Anybody else in the room around like that? Where are my rule followers? Okay, there's enough of you in the room. Who are the rebellious people? People just like, okay, there's a lot of you too. Sweet, Brian is one? Cool. All right, if, uh, if you were a parent... You know all too well that everybody has a little bit of rebellion in them, right? Especially because they always, at the very least, they always hit a phase. I'm going to pick on Teddy a little bit, and then he's off now. I can get away with this for a little bit longer. Um, I'm going to buy him some ice cream for this. But there's my, my oldest son, Teddy. He's four years old now, and uh, he is in this phase right now where he is really rebellious. He just wants to argue about everything. I mean, we'll say something that's blatantly true, just like obvious, and he'll just find ways, no, 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 and he'll argue, and just poke and prod. I'm like, dude, this is, <laughs> it's getting really, uh, it's taxing on me as a rule follower. I don't even understand your rebellious people very well anyway. So, so that's my son right now. You can kind of get this, but, uh, you know, it can be difficult to deal with rebellious people, especially when you are sitting here thinking, well, I, I know I am right. I know I'm right. You just have to come and see my point of view, right? Especially when you know, like, I mean, you know, without a shout or without a doubt, what I believe on this issue is true, right? Well, to an extent, that's what Titus had to deal with in his church in Crete. So we're going to look in this. We're going to continue through this series through the book of Titus. This is week three, so we haven't gotten too far. Before we get into that, I want to uh, encourage you, I'll say this, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, I really encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. Uh, there's a handful of things that were even covered from our section today that I'm really not going to spend much time on because Brian already did. So I really want to encourage you to go back and listen. But today we get to Titus 1 verses 10 through 16. And in this passage, as we'll see, Paul is giving Titus some advice on how to deal with some troublesome, rebellious people. So I want to ask you, if you're able, would you stand as we read God's word together this morning in honor of it? So Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said this about them. The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the, and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Whew. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You can have a seat. 
This is, this is an intense passage. And if we put it into context, which we have to do every time we come to the Bible, right? We want to put it into context. What, where is this section even coming from? Well, if you were here last week, Brian preached on the, the section right before it. In the section right before it, Paul is telling Titus, hey, you have to establish some elders. You got to put some elders in place, an authority figure who, one, live godly lives, and two, can teach and instruct and correct according to the scriptures. So our passage today immediately follows that, and it basically is the why. Why does Titus need to install elders? Well, because there's some, some things happening. <laughs> so that's some brief context, and we're going to get into this more, what this actually looks like for them and also what it means for us today. But I want to point out, too, when we're talking about this church in Crete, this is a little island of Crete, um, this is like the, the very beginning of this church, right? And it's on the whole island. It's spread out. It's not one building. They meet in homes. They're all spread out, and they're all brand new believers for the most part. So Paul has helped plant the, this church, plant this, and bring a lot of people to faith in Christ, and Titus is now there who's responsible for making it happen. So establishing an elder in every town, which is what we looked at last week, it's literally the first piece of structure for this church. There is no structure yet at all. (laughs) And so these false teachers, these rebellious people are taking advantage of that and they're inserting themselves as teachers, right? If there's no structure, it's pretty easy to get in and be like, hey, I know what I'm talking about, so listen to me. I'm going to tell you what's up. So they insert themselves and they start teaching things that are upsetting whole households. That's what what Paul writes here. And when we read households, sometimes we can think, okay, families, but more, it, it, it's pretty plausible to think that as this church is meeting in real homes, that these teachers are inserting themselves in a home gathering and are upsetting that whole gathering of believers, not just a family unit. So they're causing trouble. So as Paul is explaining why you need to establish elders, the first thing he says essentially is that false teaching must be silenced. How does that sit with you? Some of us are like, oh yeah, absolutely. But we live in America today and a huge value of America is freedom, the freedom of speech, right? Any idea of something, some opinion needs to be silenced, it can feel pretty harsh, right? But Paul doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, this teaching is dangerous, it's causing harm, and it needs to be silenced immediately. But notice, he's not saying through force. Not through force, it's through argument, right? He's not saying establish elders who are big and brawny and can take them out back and teach them a lesson. That's not what he's saying. He says, establish elders who live godly lives and who know the scriptures. But here's the reality. Not all ideas are equal or valid. Not all ideas are equal or valid. Some are just outright terrible. Some are wrong. Some ideas out there are extremely harmful to people. And this is true. We know this. We, we, we live in a world, too, where I think we're constantly told and beaten over the head with this nice idea of, you know, all, all viewpoints, all belief systems are equal and valid. They're all, toler- we need to tolerate them and accept them, right? But that's just not reality. Nobody actually lives as if that is true. For example, 
If you have one person who's, who believes strongly that murder is wrong, and you have another person that says murder is good, what say you? Are those equal and valid? No. And society doesn't let that happen. We have laws in place. We just don't. Practically, this doesn't work out. So it's important for us to know, especially in 21st century Western society, not all ideas are equal or, or valid, and that is okay. And especially things that are harmful need to be dealt with. So if we look at this issue, what is the issue that Paul is dealing with at this, with this church in Crete? What is he telling Titus is the issue? Well, we see this in our first verse. In verse 10, the NLT translation says, especially uh, the rebellious people, especially those who insist on circumcision for salvation. Now, the Greek literally just says those of the circumcision. But basically, this is a really common train throughout all of the New Testament is we see that there are a bunch of Jewish people who are putting their faith in Jesus and are bringing with them a whole bunch of cultural baggage. It's really what's happening. And I mean, how, how many of you know that Jesus didn't establish a new religion? He was a Jew. He came to fulfill Judaism. So some of this is kind of natural, right? A Jewish person says, well, yeah, okay, there's my, my Messiah. That's, that's who I've been waiting for. And they come in and they can all automatically start thinking, well, all of the laws that I've been keeping my entire life, those all still apply, right? And for one of those, adult men, I mean, men in general, were supposed to be circumcised. So there was a very, very strong train of thought amongst Jewish Christians. Well, we call them Judaizers because this isn't necessarily a gospel thing. But what they insisted on is that if you believe in Jesus and if you really want to be a real Christian, you got to be circumcised if you're a guy. That wouldn't sit well with me, <laughs> especially if you're a Gentile converting to that. Anyway, so that's what is going on here. There's a group of Judaizers, what we call them, people of the Jewish faith that, that are inserting themselves and then are trying to teach and pull people back into a Jewish way of thinking and a Jewish faith to an extent, and it's a problem. It was leading people away from the gospel. And there's some more nuance there, and we'll get into a little bit of that in a little bit, but at best, at best, what this teaching was doing was distorting the gospel and confusing people. At worst, it was outright denying the sufficiency of the cross and resurrection for salvation. So you can see why this is a big deal. You can see why Paul is so emphatic. This needs to be stopped. This needs to be silenced in the church. So that begs the question for us. What does that mean for us today? Because I, I do not know a single Christian teacher that is saying that every single male has to be circumcised to be a true Christian, right? This is not an issue for us today. So I want to ask you that, that question. What, what are some of the things that you might think of as potentially false teaching, something that might be subtle or subtle twisting of the faith that has crept into the modern church today in America? So we're going to do a roundtable. We've told you this. Uh, we're going to try to use, utilize these tables a little bit. I want to ask you to take two minutes with your table and just talk, brainstorm some of the so-called ideas that, might, that you might think of as being a false distortion of the Christian faith that's pretty common in the church. So go ahead, take two minutes. All right, I'm sure you could talk for quite a while. But, let's come back. 
So I'm sure you came up with a bunch of things. I'm sure your brain might be swirling. I have a lot of things that come to my mind. I'll give you a couple, right? Some of the more prominent ones I think of are the prosperity gospel. If you don't know much about the prosperity gospel, there's a movement that believes firmly and teaches if you love God and if you pray enough and if you have enough faith, if you do this, if you do that, God is just going to rain blessings on you like money and a nice house and a nice car. I've heard this and it's pretty popular. So that's one I think of. I think that's a distortion. Um, Postmodernism, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, like this idea that, well, okay, Jesus is just one way to God. You know, that's a distortion. That's not in the Bible. It sounds nice. Progressivism is another trend that is really popular today. I don't know if you know much about progressivism, but the very baseline assumption is that truth always progresses. So what was true 50 years ago, that might be an outdated truth. It's got to change to be true today. That's a baseline assumption. So there's a lot of things out there, but there are also plenty of things that mimic what the false teachers in Titus were doing, right? Because essentially what they were saying is if you are a real Christian, if you're a real Christ follower, then you should be circumcised. That's what they were saying. And we do this today, right? Christians can be really, really bad at this. We fall into the same trap. Our tendency is to say things like, if you're a real Christian, you gotta wait have sex before marriage. If you're a real Christian, you can never cuss. You should stop cussing. If you're a real Christian, you should have, you know, fill in the blank. You should always listen to K-Love if you're a real Christian, right? Get rid of the secular music. K-Love is the holy radio station. That's it. If you're a real Christian, you can never divorce. You could have never divorced. If you're a real Christian, you should vote Republican. I heard a no. (laughs) Uh, you should stay away from social media. That's just a popular one. Social media, I mean, it's got a lot of traps in it. So some Christians say, you know, real Christians should stay away from that completely. Stay away from R-rated movies. You know, the list can go on. We have this list in our minds of to be a real Christian is fill in the blank. Let me tell you, a real Christian puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus alone. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. So those things, I'm not saying they're bad, right? I mean, some of them, there's a lot of different ones in there. You can decipher that for yourself. What I'm saying is that we need to stop this whole real Christians fill in the blank mentality. We have to stop that because what it is, it's a Jesus and mentality. But I want to make this a little bit more personal for you. When we think about false teaching, right? What, what do you listen to? Who are your sources? Where do you get your information? Spiritual or non-spiritual, right? I mean, obviously, this is, this is a setting, right? You're receiving information from me. You, you might be agreeing, you might be disagreeing, but we all receive information from somewhere throughout our week, right? Could be the news, could be social media, could be podcasts, online teachers. I mean, it, I mean for those of you in school, you receive information from your teachers, Some of you receive information from your peers. Who do you listen to? Who do you give authority to to help you see the world? Because that makes a massive difference in your thought process, in the way that you see the world. You could very well, and I think all of us do, accept tiny little distortions all the time. We accept tiny little false teachings, and if we don't, evaluate them carefully and submit them to scripture, we can be led astray. 
Specifically thinking about news and social media. This is a big one for me. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. People get a lot of their news from social media, news articles from social media. These sources aren't necessarily bad, right? But we need to check them. Because if they are not submitting to Jesus, we don't know what their motives are. We don't know what their gain is. For, for Titus and for the church in Crete, these false teachers, he's very clear, he says, they're after your money. Honestly, the same kind of goes today, right? You ever heard of the Instagram influencer, right? The social media influencer, or TikTok now, I guess, is the big thing. You got influencers. Influencers, all they are meant to do is to influence you. And the gain is, when you break it down, it's money. As long as they can influence you, they can earn money. It's something humbling for us to think about. But I want to point this out because I see social media posts all the time and links to articles all the time that have some sort of claim about Jesus, about the Bible, about certain translations, about church history, some claim. And most of the ones that I see are deeply flawed. Deeply, deeply flawed. And more often than not, you have an author of this article or this post that wants to gain viewership, they're after novelty. If they can say something new and challenging and rebellious, you know, something, then they can get your attention and they can get something out of it. National Geographic seems to come out with a ton of documentaries. And some of their documentaries, quite frankly, are terrible. Seriously. I mean, there's some that I've watched through. I'm like, I took a couple college classes on this and I can refute half of the stuff in this documentary, right? They're after something. They're after novelty. If we can say, oh, we've, you know, we found the, the lost tomb of Jesus and there's a body in there, you know, if they can say that, they can make money off of it. Social media can be even worse because it's, guys, hear me, it's really, really, really easy to take a truth and twist one little thing inside of it make it sound really good, short and pithy, and throw it out there, and it can mislead people. It is way harder to evaluate it and correct it and do the hard work of finding Scripture and searching Scripture and seeing whether it holds up. You can't do that on social media. The problem is, is that there's a lot of short, pithy sayings or memes out there that make real truth claims that have flaws, and because they sound nice, so many people are so quick to just to repost it. It's false teaching. Not all of it, but there's a lot. I see a lot of it out there. It's really easy to twist truth. It can be really hard to do the hard work to evaluate it. So all I have to say is that there are false teachings everywhere. Everywhere. Little distortions here and there. And we have to be careful. We have to evaluate these things. So this is why Paul says to establish elders. This is a brand new church in this little island of Crete. There's no structure, and these, these Cretans don't have the maturity or the structure to deal with it. So Paul says, hey, get an elder in there who knows Jesus, who's living a godly life, and who knows their Bible, who can teach and correct. Put them in an authority position, and we need to stop this false teaching, this distortion, this stuff that is leading people away from Jesus. So that's what's going on in our passage. But I want to point out for us, what does this mean for us today? This is not just the responsibility of elders. So if you were here last week, we got to, uh, to usher in a new elder onto our elder board. Really, really excited for Steve and his wife Susie. Um, it's not just his job. It's not just our elder board's job to do this kind of work. 
Remember, this was the first step in their church structure. This wasn't the end goal. The end goal is for all of us, every Christ follower, to eventually move into this state of maturity where we can do this ourselves. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1. It's another letter from Paul. In verses 28 through 29, he gives a little bit of his heart. He's writing to a church here, not just a pastor like in Titus, but he's writing to the whole church. And this is part of his heart. In his ministry, he says, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love Paul's heart on that. He says, I toil for this. This is what I live for, is to present everyone mature. It's one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith. In no way do we look at you and say, hey, you just need to accept everything I say, and you can stay in the dark. You don't need to know the inner workings of all this behind-the-scenes stuff. Just listen to me. We don't say that. The goal is for all of us to be brought to this point of maturity. So again, in this letter, he's talking about elders. But that's the first step. And that's also our responsibility of our elder board and of our church leadership. That's a responsibility of ours is we want to help guide you, right? That's our mission statement. If you've been around long enough, you've probably heard it. We exist. I'm going to butcher it. I'm sorry. Essentially to help everybody to take a next step toward becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I missed the first part a little bit, right? But that's what we exist for. We want to help all of you, all of us, continue to take next steps in becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the heart. That's Paul's heart, and we strive for that to be our heart. So in short, I just want to emphasize this with this first point. When we talk about false teaching must be silenced, really, it's, the onus is on every single believer to continue to grow not only in godly living, that's an extremely important part, obviously, but godly living, but also biblical understanding. We should all be able to sniff out false teaching and correct it. And you may not be able to do that perfectly. That's okay. It's growth. But we should be working toward that end. But now what, what else we see in this passage is that growth, this kind of growth, often requires rebuke. Real growth may require rebuke. In verse 13, he references the quote that he just gave. He says, This prophet said, The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. And in verse 13, he says, This is true. He agrees. <laughs> Brian talked about this a couple weeks ago, so go look at that message. But then he says, So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. You notice he's not talking about the false teachers here anymore. He's talking about the church. Because right after that, he says, same pronoun they, these people, they must stop listening to Jewish myths. He's not saying they got to stop teaching it. He's saying this, they got to stop listening. Paul is telling Titus, you got to reprimand your church. Doesn't sound nice to us, does it? <laughs> we don't like that. But again, if we look, there's a goal here. The goal is so that they would be strong in the faith. Rebuke should never come just to be right. It should be coming from a heart of, we want to see you move in the right direction. And we don't like this today, right? A major American value is autonomy or independence. 
We don't like people telling us what to do or what to say or what to think or what to believe. We don't like that. We're Americans. <laughs> right? Another thing, it's important to recognize that American values are not necessarily biblical values. Sometimes we struggle. We get them blurred a little bit. But the reality is, again, growth requires rebuke at times. Sometimes we get so full of ourselves, so prideful, so ingrained into our train of thought in the way that we want to live that the most loving thing for us sometimes is to be told, you're wrong. Stop it. You hear me? Sometimes that is the most loving thing for you is to be told, you are wrong. Stop it. Rebuke is important. And I know I've had my moments where I've needed to be corrected, right? I'm not perfect by any means. I'm fallible. I've needed to be corrected over the years, and it'll probably happen again in the future. But I want to point this out because rebuke, one reason it doesn't feel good to us, and we really, I mean, we really shy away from it, is we often confuse it with condemnation. So think about this with me for a second. Rebuke is different than condemnation. Condemnation looks at a person and says, you are guilty, you, as a person, are guilty. Rebuke, on the other hand, is just a sharp correction, right? It's not a judgment on the person that says, no, we've got we to turn this around. We've got to fix this. There needs to be some kind of correction here. And the church, as Christians, as Christ followers, we need to be open to that. We need to be open to rebuke. But I want to take some time here because I know some of you in this room, some of you watching online have not seen this from the church. You've seen from the church, or maybe you've experienced it personally, that the church can often condemn with their rebuke. Christians are so bad at times about just wanting to be right. We don't necessarily care about the person sitting in front of us. We just want to show that we are right and that what we believe is right and they are wrong. Right? The church has condemned so many people over the years made judgments on people. You're attracted to someone of the same sex. Condemned. You've had an abortion before. Condemned. You vote this particular way. Condemned. You're the, you know, whatever it is, the, the church can look at people and do irreparable harm because they do not have the heart of real rebuke and correction. And if you've experienced that, I want to say I'm sorry because that, that should never happen in the church. It shouldn't happen. And I want you to know that, I mean, if you are harboring any kind of baggage with that, if you've received any scars or wounds or if you have a bad taste in your mouth with church because of someone who's exerted some authority in a, in a way that hurts you, I'm sorry. And that is not our heart here. We, we will do our absolute best as a pastoral staff and as an elder board to care for you in everything, period. But I also want to point out that with the very establishment of an elder board, when Paul says establish an elder, put them in an authority figure, part of this is that as Christ followers, we do, to an extent, need to figure out what does it mean to submit to that authority. This doesn't work if people don't submit to the elder board. If you want to follow Christ and if you want to take it seriously, there is a requirement to an extent to submit to the leadership that's been put in place. 
not blindly, right? We're not right in everything we say. I mean, I, some of the things I could say today, you might have an issue with it, and like, let's go have a conversation, we'll figure it out, and we'll, we'll get to truth together. But the point is, is that there is an authority and a leadership in place, and it's to be honored. And we need to be open to rebuke, especially knowing our state, knowing that we are imperfect people. We may need to be corrected. We hope it's always done in love. That's our goal. But we know this because just like parents, I'll go back to parents, just like parents who have a responsibility to guide their kids in the right direction, and parents, you know that takes a lot of correction, a lot of it, (laughs) a lot. I'll give you an example. I'll give you two fun examples. Just, this is my life right now. I've got young kids, right? So I posted this on Facebook this week too. This, this last week, Teddy decided to teach me about volcanoes. Um, we're driving, and he just is out of the blue. Like, Daddy, you can't get too close to a volcano because it'll erupt. I was like, oh, okay. I'm not sure if that's how it works. And he's like, yeah, 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 because they want to kill people. <laughs> I mean, it's really cute, but it's wrong. <laughs> So I'm like trying to gently be like, oh, Teddy, I don't think that's how it works. Like, yeah, they're trying to kill people. You can't do it. It was, it was really funny. Here's another, another example is, uh, bless his heart, you know, he's four years old. He means well. He's really sweet. He's got a little brother, Henry. You might have seen him this morning. He, Henry's one. Sometimes he just wants, he loves his little brother so much he wants to give him a big hug. But what he does is he comes up behind him, wraps his arms around his neck, <laughs> and for whatever reason decides to walk backwards. <laughs> and I can just see Henry go, you know, and I got to sharply correct Teddy, even though if he means well. I'm like, Teddy, stop, stop, stop. That's, you're hurting your brother, right? Correction is necessary. We have to be open to it. But to go a little further, I'm convinced that strong, mature Christ followers will go so far to seek correction themselves. Because if, if you know who you are, and if you know who God is, you know your own sinful state, you know that your heart is deceitful above all things. You know these things. You're going to have the wherewithal to say, hey, I could be way off base on this. I need to seek out correction if I need it. I'm going to go have the conversations with people that I trust, that I, I see as, as people who know their stuff, who know their Bible, and who can pray with me. I need to go seek that. You can't do this on your own. You, can't, you cannot follow Jesus on your own. He never gave that as an option. It has to be done together. And the reality is that there are people who are given authority positions in leadership, and they have the responsibility to help you, right? Not to lord it over you, but they have the responsibility to help you. So use it. Seek it out. Our elder board is awesome. I'm super excited to listen and get to know more from Dan and Steve and Josh. These are men that are, that are and Grant, sorry. He's coming off the board soon, so Especially Grant. I love my conversations with Grant. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Grant. I love my conversations with them. These are men who've gone before me. They're more mature than me in many ways. They've gone, I mean, they're much further down the journey than I am. It's a huge blessing and a resource. So when we look look at this passage, I think the tendency, especially for me, I, I wrestle with this because it does still seem so harsh. One of the harshest verses in this passage, in verse 16, Paul says, Such people claim they know God, 
but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable. You ever been called detestable? They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. It's harsh. But again, it's harsh for a reason. This isn't just a different opinion. This isn't just a gray area where you can sit on one side and someone else can sit on the other side and it's like, you know, we both love Jesus. We, you know, we're brothers and sisters. We're, you know, we're good. We can agree to disagree. This is not one of those issues. This is a different gospel that they are teaching. And people's salvation is at stake. That's the reality. So Paul needs to be harsh. And verse 15 gives us a little bit more of a glimpse of what's really going on, right? So we mentioned the circumcision piece. In verse 15, he says, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. This actually is, is building off of a teaching that Jesus gave. Sometimes we quote a lot from Paul. He wrote a ton of the New Testament. It's always nice to know and, and see, okay, this is coming straight from Jesus as well. Paul's just taking it and putting a spin on it, right? In Mark 7, verse 15, Jesus says, It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. This was a constant theme for Jesus as he was looking at the Pharisees. It's like, look, you have all these 600 and some laws that you keep all the time. Those are external things. What matters is your heart. Paul is just alluding right back to that same argument, right? It's what's in your heart that matters. Are you right with Jesus? Do you put your trust solely in the cross? Paul also uses very similar words in a couple other letters. He uses it in 1 Corinthians. He also uses it in Romans. And in both of those letters, he's basically talking about food, sacrifice to idols. Again, Judaizers um, were bringing a lot of this, this extra teaching, extra stuff from Judaism. And there's a lot of these laws of you should eat this and you shouldn't eat that. And this is clean and this is not and this is that. And there's this question from believers of like, okay, well, I know that Jesus is the only true God, so if this food over here is offered to this idol, like, can I eat that? Can I eat that? Or is that going to taint me? Is that going to bring a blemish on me? And Paul's response is like, look, if, if you're right with Jesus, it's just food. It's not going to make you unclean. Vice versa, if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter which laws you follow. It doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter... Whatever you do and how you live does not matter. It does not make you right with God. What matters is your heart. No amount of ritual, good deeds, or self-help can ever make you pure. I don't think we can hear that enough. The only thing that can make you clean and pure and holy, the only thing is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's it. Isaiah 64, 6, it's not on the screen, but you can write a note. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin, all of us. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. It's hard, but it's true. If you don't know Jesus... Nothing else will make you pure. Nothing else will make you right with God. There's nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
And this is again why Paul makes this such a big deal. These false teachers are adding to the gospel. They're saying, okay, yeah, Jesus and circumcision. Jesus and food and ritualistic laws. If you don't have those, you, you can't be a true follower of Christ. That is a false gospel. It will lead people astray. And so the same onus goes for us. Add nothing to the gospel. Let me urge you and urge myself and all of us as a reminder, add nothing to the gospel. Nothing. The gospel is everything, and it is the only thing that ultimately matters. If you don't have the gospel right, everything else is for naught. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. The weird thing is, is that all of us still, some, somewhere deep down inside, we want to earn what we got, right? And then we feel good about ourselves. Like, well, I deserve this. You don't deserve anything. I don't deserve a thing. It's a free gift. And I'll take it and I'll accept it and I'll run with it and I'll be so gracious and gra grateful for it. But I don't earn anything. In Galatians 5, um, the whole book of Galatians is, is, is another example of this. Paul is fighting these Judaizers. And in this passage, he kind of talks about something similar. Chapter 5, verse 2 through 4, Paul writes to this church and he says, Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. You got to be perfect. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. It's harsh, but it's true. You cannot add anything to the gospel. There is no and. A true Christian believes and puts their faith in Christ and Christ alone. And, and, and Jesus guides us, right? Obviously, there's, there's life change that needs to happen with that. But not so you can be a true Christian. It's the gospel alone. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He rose again on the third day and has sealed our destiny as being resurrected with him. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live in us. It's the gospel. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but you can't add anything to that. So as Christ followers, we have to constantly get back to the heart of the gospel. Constantly. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for you. It is. Some of you need to hear that because you're down on yourself today. Some of you need to hear that because you're doubting yourself. You're doubting whether you're, you're really saved. You're, maybe you're doubting whether you're good enough. You're doubting why God would even love you. You need to hear this. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for you. That's it. You don't have to earn anything from him. Some of you need to hear the opposite message of you need to 
Stop, get off your high horse. You didn't earn anything. Stop looking down on other people that don't live like you, that don't think like you. Get back to the cross. Get back to the fact that we are all in the same boat. We are all sinners sanctified by Jesus. We can only be a saint in him, not by our lifestyle. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for you. So whatever that looks like for you this week, I wanna invite you to think and brainstorm and journal, have conversations with people that you trust and think about what are the things, what are, the, what are my loyalties? What are the things that I'm holding on to that are not of God? What are the things that are the, the things that I've added to the gospel? What, what things do I put my trust in, right? In Galatians 5, again, he says, if you are counting on circumcision, right? How many of you are counting on something that's not Jesus to get you through the day? To make you feel good about yourself, right? For some of you, it's like, I just wanna, I wanna be successful in my work. You know, that's great. Don't count on that. Don't count on coming to church every week. I mean, coming to a physical building every week or a certain number of times a month, like that's not gonna make you right with God. Whatever you're counting on, strip it away. Get back to the gospel. Get back to his sacrifice and know that it is completely and wholly sufficient for you. I want to invite you to stand and uh, I want to pray for you as we close. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. Thank you for your scriptures and how they guide us and teach us. I pray that you would help us to submit to you, to pursue growth, to pursue knowledge and understanding, to do it together. But Lord, in that process and in everything, I just pray that you would help us over and over and over and over, remember and understand that you are sufficient for us. Help us to stop striving to earn something from you or to feel good about ourselves on our own. Help us to stop our, our clawing and pining toward whatever the next thing that might help us to feel fulfilled or satisfied that day or that week and help us to return to you, come back to you and receive you every single day, every single hour. Would you guide us forward this day? Help us to put these things into action and to, to learn what it means to grow, to ask for help, to, to ask questions, to grab someone that's gone ahead of us in this life, in this journey, and ask them if they would sit down with us and have a conversation. But Jesus, I pray that you would lead us forward. Would you bless us with your spirit in, in an extra portion today? Help us to feel and know your love for us, your sufficiency for us now. And as we praise your name, as we sing these songs, help these truths to sink into our hearts, help us to understand them, to feel them, to know that it is true, that you love us so much, that you gave your life for us. Pray all this in your name, Jesus.